Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planner, uh, Planning. Uh, I'm pleased to have as my guests or co-hosts today are two of the advisors on staff. To my immediate right is Kyle Ryan, a certified financial planner, and all the way to the right is Ryan Keefe. Um, thanks, guys, for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're going to, last couple episodes, we were talking about different areas of financial planning. Uh, first one on cash management. Uh, the previous episode, we were talking about different components of investment planning. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, retirement planning. And not just today, but we expect this to be two, if not three parts. And so if you look at the six different areas of financial planning, you've got cash management, tax planning, uh, insurance planning or risk management, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. Uh, retirement planning to the core is really one of my favorite uh, topics, but you know, I keep saying you that. You can't say that every episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what though, I mean, I love what I do. So anyway, the long and short of it is that uh, as it pertains to all six areas of financial planning is every area, they're all integrated and certainly retirement planning is integrated with all of the areas as much as any of them. I mean, tax planning is obviously involved in all of them, but retirement planning from an integration perspective really involves them all, the investment planning, the tax planning, and the estate planning at a minimum and the cash management. So um, let's jump in. So the first thing is uh, funding goals. Now, funding goals could be funding for pre-retirement and funding for post-retirement. So, or funding for a retirement goal. And you know it's important to understand it because really a goal is a goal, okay? It's just a question of when is that goal for? Hmm. So if it's for retirement, then the government gives pretty cool tax programs in the form of 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, because there are tax advantages associated with them. Right. However, you know the government gives you uh, as I refer to as a carrot on the stick. But they're also holding a baseball bat behind their back. So they basically say, you gotta play by our rules or else you get whacked over the head with, with the baseball bat. And what are the rules? Don't take the money out prior to age 59 and a half, okay? Or else you get a 10% penalty. So that's why it's important. Again, it all comes down to cash management, tax planning, investment planning, and even retirement planning is what is your goal, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. So if you're 50 years old and you're looking to buy a shore property when you're 56 or 57, well, then it's not going to be a retirement planning goal mm-hmm. because of the fact that if you're prior to age 59 and a half when you need the money, you're going to get whacked with penalties, yeah, right. okay? And, I, you know, first of all, the only thing I hate more than paying taxes is paying penalties, yeah. okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's stupid money in my opinion. Yeah. So... You know, again, so if it's a pre-retirement goal, then you got to make sure that you're using non-retirement type of investments. You know, IRA, you don't want to be using your 401k IRA, Roth IRAs, although there are ways of getting money out. And actually, we're going to talk about pulling money out for pre-59 and a half ways of distributing money from retirement accounts. But just keep in mind that if you have a goal that you know is going to be prior to age 59 and a half, 
then you need to be thinking about alternative savings programs. And, and that's why you know diversification doesn't just come in the form of what your investments are, it's also the vehicles you use for investing, right? Because you want to have a mix of retirement accounts, non-qualified accounts, now, everyone's gonna be different. If you wanna retire before age 59 and a half, you might need a lot more in that taxable brokerage account. Correct. If you don't plan on retiring until you're 70 and you don't have those capital needs before 59 and a half, you might not have to fund that as much. So again, you know, just like with anything in financial planning, it depends on your individual circumstance, how much you need to fund each of those accounts for. And, and kind of tying back into our, our last episode with investment planning, um, when you're you know, funding these accounts, you need to be aware of what investments you're purchasing in order to you know, kind of drive your money forward. Um, because if you're buying these high flyer growth stocks, you may look like a hero in year one, but in year five, when you need the money, there could be a lot of down or headwinds that you face. That is correct. Um, so you need to look at, you know, what, what vehicles you're purchasing. You know, some people stick money in, in CDs at banks, which are fine, but you got to understand there's, there's liquidity issues that arise with those sometimes. Yeah. So Right. That's correct. That's correct. So, again, it all comes down to, you know, how much of your income you pull, uh, what's the best mechanism and vehicle, and what your short and long-term goals are for that money for saving for pre-retirement monies. Now, if you're looking at saving for retirement and you think about retirement planning philosophically, you've got two periods of time. You've got the accumulation of assets and then the distribution of assets. And the pinnacle is the point with which people are looking to retire. And let's say it's age 65. And the question that they always ask fundamentally is will I have enough money? And of course the answer is? It depends. It depends. There you go, <laughs> you guys are learning. So the reality of it is that you know, we help people identify, do I have enough, do I not have enough, et cetera, et cetera. But there are times that people want to be able to access retirement money prior to age 59 and a half, okay? Now, so, the 10% penalty applies, but there are exceptions mm -hmm. to the 10% penalty. Right. Death, well, if I need the money, that didn't really help me. <laughs> I died, right? But, okay, but, but death is, is an example of one. If I'm disabled, yep. okay, I avoid the 10% penalty. Mm -hmm. And a little known rule is 55 for drawing out of your 401k. 401k, 403b, your company retirement plan. If you, the, the letter of the law says if you terminate employment, in the year you turn 55 or later, so if my birthday is in November and I turn 55 in November and I retire from a company in March, I can actually access my 401k retirement, company retirement assets without paying the 10% penalty. Very specifically, the 401k company assets, not correct. other retirement That plans. is correct. You have an IRA that does not apply. So you, one of the strategies involved in that is if you foresee the need for that, it might be worthwhile not to roll your entire 401k into an IRA so that you have the ability to access that without you know, getting hit with that extra penalty. Correct, and we've done that plenty of times before for clients who retire in at 57, 58. You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, they have other assets you know, and, and we believe for many reasons there's more advantages to having money in an IRA than in a 401k. But what we've done before, you know, they have an $800,000 401k. Yeah. I was like, well, look, you know, you're 57 years old. Let's leave a couple hundred grand 
in your 401k, at least until you turn 59 and a half, said if you needed money, it's a place to go, mm -hmm. okay? Now, there are other ways to access retirement money. Right, and one of them is if you have a Roth IRA, Correct. you can actually pull back your contributions, not any growth or interest gained on those contributions, but you can take those out at any time. That's no correct. Penalty, no penalty, no harm, no foul. That's correct. Um, you know, we strongly <laughs> uh, you discourage. Know, discourage that because the Roth IRA is, is, in our opinion, one of the better investment vehicles depending on the individual, um, but those assets are going to grow tax-free. Right. So you want those to stay in there as long as possible yeah. um, so that they can grow. And there's also the 72T election, um, where in which you basically, you know, similar to required minimum distributions on, uh, you know, an IRA at the age of 73, you can take minimum distributions before the age of 59 and a half, um, and it, it gives you a set amount where you can take only up to that amount each year until you reach 59 and a half, and then you can cease it. So that's that's another option there. For what it's worth, in all of my years of practicing, never done. I have never done it. Yeah, but it's, However, it's but if you do it. So what happens here, let's say I have a million dollar IRA and I'm 57 years old or whatever the case may be, is I can't just decide, all right, I'm going to take my RMD out of that million dollars. If I do, I freeze that million dollars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happens is that I have to carve out an account that gets tagged the 72T rule. But going back to the Roth IRA, I uh, actually just recently had a client say, hey, Mike, I need 50 grand. Okay, obviously I talked them off. But we walked through it. He's looking to buy a house, needs money for a down payment. And asked me if his Roth IRA is available, and if so, how much of it? Okay, and by the way, I dug up an email that you wrote to me a year and a half ago. Right. When this question was asked a year and a half ago. <laughs> Might have been a year ago. Yeah. Um, and so what happens here is when it comes to a Roth IRA, to your point earlier, someone can access their contributions at any time because it was after-tax money that went in. Mm -hmm. So if they put $6,000 into their Roth IRA and it's worth 10, they can always grab their six. But if they grab that $4,000, that's subject to both tax and a 10% penalty if they're prior to age 59 and a half. Mm -hmm. Plus, you have to have that money in for five years. But then there's another component is, years ago, the same client also did, excuse me, a Roth IRA conversion, mm -hmm. where we converted $30,000 from the Roth IRA, from the IRA to the Roth. By waiting five years, enabled us to be able to access that 30 grand with no tax or penalty. Mm -hmm. Okay, don't touch the growth. He also had in his IRA a certain amount of money that he had contributed to a 401k that we rolled over a handful of years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it turns out that we had that money because when we receive the checks from the 401k company. We received two checks. Mm -hmm. You know, the amount that was pre-tax and then the amount that was in the Roth 401k. And what's important to do, which we did, thank goodness, is they send a stub. And on the stub, it says, okay, these are how much your contributions were and this is how much your growth is. It's important to write those numbers down, document <coughs> those numbers. Just like your document and all the other stuff, when you made your first contribution to a Roth IRA, you need to know because it's not considered tax-free until you're 59 and a half and five years from that. Well, in this particular case, 
we had to document exactly how much of his Roth 401k that rolled into the Roth IRA, how much of it were his contributions because it served the exact same role as making Roth IRA contributions. Yeah. Then when we also converted $30,000, we had to know when we converted it. And we converted it in 2018, which rendered that 30, God only knows what the amount is worth today, but let's say it's worth 40. We know that we converted 30, but we also know that we converted 30 in 2018. Those monies, that $30,000 is not available until five years later to be available for withdrawal without tax or penalty. So what that did is that gave us the ability to say, hey, Mr. Client, you need X amount of money. Well, we talked about other ways of coming up with the money. Right. We discouraged him from taking it. But we talked about different ways with which buying right. the house and, he could do it. And one of those being the 401k loan. Right, which 401k loan. There was just different methods. There were methods of do you take an 80% and 10%. We went basically through you know, all of the different methods with which he can grab money mm -hmm. and just evaluated and weighed out all the different methods with him and he went ahead and decided which method he was going to go with. Um, but anyway, th that's just another example of ways with which you can pull money out pre-59 and a half. So again, we talked about today uh, saving money pre-retirement and for post-retirement and then what if you need to access money prior to age 59 and a half. What we're going to do is when we come back, we're going to start talking about now post 59 and a half. So stay tuned and we'll be back with you in just a few moments. Do you keep up regularly with your investments? Where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going? Are you financially prepared for an emergency? I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. We believe that education and knowledge are powerful, and we want our clients to understand why we are making the recommendations that we make. It's your money, and you deserve to know where it's going, because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. So call us today to discuss. Oh, hey, hello, we're back. Uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, coming back. <laughs> um, anyway, we were talking about is in the first segment is we we're talking about uh, uh, taking money out prior to age 59 and a half. Now, let's go back. If you really look again at the two phases of retirement planning is the accumulation of assets, the distribution of assets, and the pinnacle is when the people are ready to retire. And the question is, do I have enough and the answer is it depends, it depends. <laughs> and actually the single largest well there's really two things you know obviously how much they have in assets but the single largest component other than that is what's your cost of living okay if your cost of living is three thousand dollars a month and your income is five thousand dollars a month well then clearly you don't have a problem but then if your income is $5,000 a month and your cost of living is $10,000 a month, well, it's not that you have a problem. It's now you're dipping into your assets. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes a question of, do I have enough? Right. Yep. Okay, so one of the things that we always encourage is, I've always encouraged, and I know you guys do too, is before making that leap is, you got to understand your cost of living. 
And so typically, I find, and this is just no exact number to this, but I usually say, I ask people, tell me what your cost of living is. And usually what they do is they say, well, you know, my mortgage is this, and my this, 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 and this. And they come up with a number, and then they'll pad it a little bit. And I will also tell you that usually it's at least 30% short of the actual number. Mm -hmm. So I like to throw out the client and say, hey, look, Mr. and Mrs. Client, there's two ways of figuring it out. There's an easy way, and then there's the hard way. And there's also the accurate way and the inaccurate way. And the irony of it is that the easy way happens to be the accurate way. Mm -hmm. And so what we tell folks to do is take two time periods. Let's say January 1st and July 1st, six months apart. Really rather have one full year. But still, you take two time periods. Let's say it is January 1st to January 1st. What you do is you look at your bank accounts, assuming that you use only a checking account and a savings account. You take a look at your bank accounts at the two different defined periods of time. And let's say during the course of the period of time, your bank accounts rose by $10,000. Then you look at what your income was for the year. And if your income was $130,000 and you saved 10, means you spent 120 grand. Yep. And you say, all right, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you're spending $10,000 a month. And it's usually immediately met with the same response, no way. I'm like, way, okay? <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, yeah. okay? So, so after they get over the shock, usually, well, you know, I'm making a lot of money and I'm spending a lot of money, which goes back to the cash management piece, mm -hmm. yeah. which is also the truth, because we see it all the time. When you got money flowing in, you're gonna spend most of it. And just like if you got a raise from 70 grand to 80 grand, it does not take long for you to be living on 70 grand and suddenly living on 80 grand, okay? Go from 80 to 100, suddenly you're living on 100. But going from 100 back to 80, you're hating it and everything else like that, but it's remarkable how all of a sudden you find yourself living on 80 again. Yeah. But it becomes really, really important for planning purposes mm. to determine what that number is. Oh, yeah. So we, recommend that clients at least for a couple years practice it yeah, prior okay to retirement prior to retirement yeah. practice it to really find out what their cost of living is yeah and there's a lot of different ways the only the, the difference that i do it in is i just look at yeah i use a credit card and my debit card i just look at my statements each month it tells me how much i spend it's how much i spend and don't be discouraged if one month is way higher than, the, than a different month that's life right you have one-time expenses right so that's correct you just kind of create an average of that um yeah. There are also, sorry to cut you, go ahead, finish. To his point of, you know, we do have clients that, and you've referenced this before, that have one-time expenses. <laughs> but they have one-time expenses every year. Yeah. Right. So it's really not a one-time expense. It's, right. It's a, and you need to factor that into your cost of living. Absolutely. You know, oh, my water heater broke. And it's like, yeah, you know, not, not going to happen again for 20 or 30 years. I'm like, okay, great. That's five grand. Yeah. Oh, you know, my heater went down. You know, oh, that, that'll never happen again, yeah. another 20 years. Yeah. Oh, I had to change the roof on my uh, porch. Yep. That was another eight grand. Need and, a new car. Yeah. You, right, you know, so all these things, and yeah. I'm like, after six or seven years in a row of hearing that from the clients, like, look, you know what? 
I get it. We just need to plan on that as part of your cost of living, to your yeah, point. Yeah. Because when we're, we run you know, models and show people, we can forecast projections of what it'll look like in retirement using certain assumptions. And if we're off by just $1,000, and you're in your 60s, you're in your early 50s, something like that, you've got 30 plus years of living, if you're off by just $1,000 a month, that can, we've seen that can take the biggest difference over the course of 30 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's just a small miscalculation that could lead to that. So what we encourage uh, clients to do who are preparing for retirement is to take the first step of actually go back a year and say what happened in that course of that last year. And in the case of someone who went down 20, but I paid $40,000 or $30,000 for my child's wedding. Hopefully that's a one-time thing, <laughs> right, for that particular child. But anyway. Um, that is a one-time expense that could say, well, you know, I spent $120,000 last year, but $30,000 was a wedding. That is one that you can say, all right, a one-time expense, okay? Um, but what we encourage clients to do is to not only go backwards a year and even going forwards a year, is to then go and look under the hood and say, all right, well, I am spending $10,000 a month to follow up with your no way it then becomes incumbent upon where am I spending it, okay? Because if you're planning for retirement, a handful of things are going to happen. Let's say, for instance, you drive an hour to work every day. When you're retired, one thing you can reasonably expect is that the car costs, whether it be maintenance, gas, or whatever associated with driving an hour of every day, that's going to go away. If you are required to wear a certain type of clothing for work every day, well, chances are you're not going to need to be wearing suits to the golf course every day, right? So there are things that, as you're closing in on retirement, that you should look at as, okay, these things are going to go away. And, and one of those being most people's mortgages. You know, that's, that's something that usually a lot of people will have paid off, you know, either right before or just as they're right. entering retirement. Um, so that's an expense that you can relatively say, oh, that's probably going to go away. But be careful. That could, <laughs> once it goes away, it kind of comes quickly into the, uh, it falls into the cash vortex. Well, the other thing, too, is that people should be aware that they may have a $2,000 mortgage, but that's covering taxes mm -hmm. and taxes and insurance, their escrow. Yeah. And if 700 of that $200,000 mortgage, I'm sorry, that $2,000 mortgage, if 700 of it, is pay, paid for taxes and expenses, that 700 doesn't go away right, right. when the mortgage is paid off, mm -hmm. okay? So then the other thing that happens, and here again, human nature, is when they stop working, that's now 10 hours a day that they used to not be able to spend money because they're working. Yep. Now all of a sudden, I'm going to lunch with my friends, I'm going golfing, going I'm trips, shopping, yeah. I'm going on trips, which is okay. Okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to deprive you, but it, you got to look at those things as reality. So what we do is, as financial planners, is the go slow and no face. Okay, share that with us, Ryan. Yeah, so when we build out financial plans, you know, when we have a client, you know, retire, 
will have for the first 10 years of their retirement, we call that the go phase. And we may increase their cost of living by you know, $2,000 a month every year. Um, and that's to account for the added vacations, travel, um, you know, going out to eat with friends, whatever it may be. Um, then after that 10 years, we decrease that down to about $1,000 a month um, in the slower phase because, you know, you get older, you don't want to travel as much, you don't, you, you're just not as... Uh, oh, my aching yeah. back. <laughs> oh, my knees are killing me. I can't move around. Hey, hey, yeah. Let me tell you something that's real. And, okay, then there's, real. and then there's the no phase when you just, you want to stay at home and be comfortable and you're done with that part of your life. And that's where we just have the cost of living as the number that you that the client provides us. Right. Unless we know otherwise where sometimes you could have really increased medical costs, right? Yes. And Which could greatly increase your cost of living. And one thing that I think a lot of clients uh, that we, we prep them for, as you've seen in your career, Mike, w you'd be surprised how much your cost of living is going to go up when you start seeing grandkids come about. Yeah. And, w you know, how quickly... <laughs> The, that excess money that you may have in retirement starts going to them. Oh, yeah. Whether it be traveling, you know, because you live in Florida and they live in uh, Pennsylvania or New York or Massachusetts or wherever they live, you know, you find yourself traveling more, the gifts and the pampering the grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. Trying to save for their college or right. what, what have you. Yeah. Right. So um, what we're going to do here is we're pretty much wrapping up this particular episode. Uh, as we pointed out, we are going to be doing multiple episodes on the retirement planning and being as this is a, an extremely important component of it what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the next episode and kind of finish out the whole concept of tracking expenses understanding your cost of living etc cetera, etc cetera. so we're going to pick up from there in the next episode so uh, thank you for joining us today uh, we look forward to catching up with you next week when we pick up from where we left off today so thank you uh, for joining us and have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.